0: Have the employees been really receptive to the robots? They have. At first, to be honest, they were skeptical. They
1: thought that they were going to lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. But then when we introduced the robots to them and they found out how easy it was to program and how much time it actually saved them so that they're not sitting on a a machine with a 10-minute cycle time sitting there for 10 minutes, changing the part out for a minute, and then 10 more minutes sitting there, the robot could actually do that monotonous and tedious work to where the employee could actually be going in maybe setting up the next machine or doing the uh, inspection on the part while the robot is still running the parts.
0: This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graf. Today's guest on the show is Timo Luntsford, general manager of Swiss Productions, a 25,000 square foot Swiss CNC shop in Ventura, California that specializes in fluidic medical components. Recently, Swiss Productions introduced two 7-axis collaborative robots to work in tandem with two of its Haas CNC mills. Timo says that the robots increase the production on each machine by the equivalent of 30 to 40 hours per week. As a used machine tool dealer specializing in high production equipment, I've encountered plenty of fire-damaged machines. An average fire costs a business $300,000 to $500,000 and six to eight weeks of lost production time. Installed on over 15,000 CNC machines, FireTrace protects shops running oil-based coolants by automatically detecting and suppressing fires within seconds. FireTrace systems are safe for people and machines because they use clean agents that leave no residue. The systems are compatible with all major machinery brands and can be installed within a few hours. For more details, go to www.firetrace.com/swarfcast. That's www.firetrace.com/swarfcast. I am thrilled to be talking to Timo Lunsford, Vice President and General Manager of Swiss Productions in Ventura, California. Welcome to the show, Timo. Thank you for having me. This is great because we've been wanting to have a lot of medical people on the show lately because of, you know, the virus. And everybody seems to want to get into medical. Maybe not everybody, but it seems like a coveted field in the machining business. So just to start, I want you to give me a brief Summary of how you got into this business and then what Swiss Productions is as a company, just so people have a little context before we start going into things.
1: Sure. Uh, About 30 years ago, my father-in-law offered me an opportunity to move down to Southern California and work with the family business. Um, I took that opportunity and uh, knew nothing about machining at all. Uh, I came from a background of carpentry. And, uh, when I, yeah, when I got into the machining aspect, uh, I fell in love with having to work with your hands and actually seeing what the finished product got to actually do and how it's functioning in whatever, uh, division of the world that we were working in, whether it be electronics, medical irrigation, um, automotive. And, uh, I've been doing that for 30 years. Wow. And yeah, it started back in uh, March of 1989. 1990, I'm sorry. March of 1990. And how old were you then? I was uh, 20. 20. You got married at 20. I got married at 20. You're very
0: serious very quickly. Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, you know, I work in a family business as well. How did it go down, first of all? You got married and... Uh, What were you doing before that? Before I got married, like I said, I was in construction. I was uh, building houses and
1: stacking roofs with my dad. He was a superintendent for a large construction company in the Bay Area, uh, Northern California. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad said, you know what? You have an opportunity to go change your career because there's not enough construction that's consistent enough. If it rains, you don't work unless you're (laughs) an inside guy. And he said, you know what, take this opportunity and uh, go learn another career and see where it takes you. And uh, I started at the bottom there. I was the last guy hired back in the day. Wow. I, I'm an A personality. I had the drive and I wanted to be the, the boss of that company
0: one day and take it to another level. And here we are today. Right. You were, you were saying earlier, they asked you when you came on what you wanted to get out of being at the company. Yes. And what did you say exactly? Exactly. They asked, you know, what's your five to 10 year guidelines?
1: Where do you see yourself within the business? And I said, one day I'm going to be your guys' bosses. And they were like,
0: what? (laughs) (laughs) How did they, how did they, they, did they think, who does this guy think he is? Or were they just sort of like wowed by your swag? I think my father-in-law was kind of like wowed by the fact that, you know,
1: he's determined and he's confident. And I think some of the other people that have been there for uh, a few years were like, who is this kid? He's, he's 20 years old. He doesn't know anything about machining. What, what does he think he's going to do? But you know what? With hard work and determination and uh, showing up to work at 3.30 in the morning every single day, six days a week for seven years. Ugh. You know what? I made a name for myself there and uh, I earned the respect and that's what it came down to. Putting in the time and earning the respect.
0: Yeah, that's impressive. So now you, you are the head honcho there and tell me exactly about what you guys are doing. First, I, I'm, I want to be clear. I'm not the head honcho. I run the day-to-day
1: <laughs> operations. I still, my father-in-law is still the president, and my uncle is still the senior VP. So I'm number three in command. Okay. So, yeah. But I run the day-to-day operations. I'm in charge of the facility that runs, the 25,000-square-foot facility. But I do have two other people above
0: me. All right. All right. I'm glad we clarified that. So what are you guys making? What, what, tell us about your company. We have, uh,
1: we well, when I first started in the company, let me back up a little bit, we only had 12 machines. And uh, we grew from an 8,000 square foot facility into the facility we're in now. We have 25,000 square feet. We have 48 screw machines, we have four CNC mills, and we have uh, four office lathes, uh, which are little small uh, Haas lathes. And then we have two Haas three and a half inch chuckers to do bigger diameter stuff uh 70% of our business is medical device fluidic components uh 30% of that the other 30% mix uh, between irrigation um automotive uh aerospace and random miscellaneous people that call up and ask us to machine some parts for them
0: okay okay and so who are you selling these parts to the fluid stuff to hospitals or to the medical companies
1: Yeah, we sell to the uh, medical uh, companies, some of them direct OEMs, and then also others that are, uh, you know, big into the syringe and the valves and the pump. So like the clones, the Hamiltons, the T-Cans, the SGEs, uh, the
0: Gardner Denver, Tricontinents, and those are companies that are all over the world. Wow. And it wasn't always like that when you first came in to the company, right? Correct. So how do you get into getting the medical customers? Is it partly just getting certification? No, it's, it's,
1: uh, it's building that personal relationship with those people with the buyers. Um, I'm a personal person. I, I, I love networking. Uh, I'm a sit down face to face kind of guy. Um, I'm going to build my trust so that you respect me enough to know that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, whether it's going to be setting apart on time, the quality is going to be there. Our rejection rate is at zero for you guys and you get what you actually are paying for. So I established that relationship up front and um, I fly all over the United States and sometimes around the world, meeting people and developing those relationships and we earn their business. Right. But how do you, how do you find, how do you get a meeting with one of those OEMs? Um, okay. Some of it is, you know, in who you know, networking through LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. like through like uh, some other companies that we do work for. It's word of mouth. They say, hey, we have this company, Switch Productions, been making these parts for us. And they're like, oh, oh, interesting. Well, who are they? We get a phone call and we go out and meet and it it goes from there. Um, If we want to go back like 15, 20 years, we never really had a Salesforce team. Right. Um, I took over sales almost 10 years ago. And it brought in probably anywhere between 10 to $12 million worth of new business in the last 10 years, just doing the
0: sales by myself. So do you work with a manufacturer's rep or are you the manufacturer's? I'm the rep. You're the rep. I see. Then you don't have to pay any rep. Exactly. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. Okay, so the company has, has grown quite a bit over time. And one thing that you guys are doing a lot of lately is automation. So lately, you have introduced uh, some cobots into the shop? Yes, we have two, two cobots. And what brand of cobot did you buy? We went with Productive Robotics, the OB7s. Yeah, I, I had never heard of them before you filled me in on that. So why did you choose that company of robots? Uh, we were looking
1: at automation uh, a couple years ago, and we brought in three or four different types, um, and what we did was we had them each come in do a perform a demo for us, and then we went back and analyzed which one is user-friendly, which one is the easiest to set up, which one requires no programming. And which one had the 7th axis compared to a 5 or a 6 axis? The Cobot OB-7,
0: Productive Robotics, had all of those, and they checked every box, and we went with them. And so why do you need the 7th axis? The 7th axis is sort of a unique thing, right? Or it's not that common among robots. Yes. Uh, we
1: want to be able to use the seven axis and integrate it into some, uh, gosh, how do I want to say this, uh, very detailed assembly work to where we're going to need the rotation to be the seventh axis so that we can manipulate it and do the things that only that a five and a six axis cannot do. Yeah. And have the employees been really receptive to the robots? They have at first, to be honest, they were skeptical. They thought that they were going to lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. But then when we introduced the robots to them and they found out how easy it was to program and how much time it actually saved them, so, they're not sitting on a, on a machine with a 10-minute cycle time sitting there for 10 minutes, changing the part out for a minute, and then 10 more minutes sitting there. The robot could actually do that monotonous and tedious work to where the employee could actually be going and maybe setting up the next machine or doing the uh, inspection on the part while the robot is still running the
0: parts. So, tell me exactly what the robot is doing. What is the action, the, the function? Okay. So the robot currently, uh,
1: both of them are running valves that we make for a, um, syringe pumps. And what the robot does is it goes and it picks the valves up because we have a tray set up on the table and it holds maybe a hundred or 200 valves at a time. We calculated what the cycle time is. And then on that table, a tray, we figure out 20 hours worth of work so it can run lights out. So it goes in, it picks the valve up and then it goes and it'll open up the door It will blow out the collet that's inside there.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We added a a blowout feature with an airline to it. Then it puts that part inside there. Then it opens up the collet on the other one, pulls that one out, drops it into the done bucket, closes the collet, closes the door, and hits the start button. And it starts making the second
0: part. Wow. And it doesn't screw up. It's not like, oh, shoot, we have to go and fix it again because it's not. No,
1: it, it doesn't. It, it let me i'll explain that it has a uh, a built-in device to where if it goes and it's there's no part in the tray that it's going to pick up it will try three times and after the third try the arm just goes back to its resting stop motion and it doesn't continue to damage anything it just shuts down oh nice very interesting it's also got a built-in bumping mechanism so if you bump the robot out of its place, even though it's down on the ground, we got the tie downs on it, right? So it doesn't move, but if somebody actually bumps it and moves it out of its place, it again will try three times. And if its location is missed or moved out of place, it will stop. Will it go back to its original location? No, you'll have to reprogram that to do it, but it's it takes 15 seconds, literally. You okay.
0: just have to re-go and show it back manually and then hit start. And this kind of robot, it's not like uh, the typical Cobot where you have a pendant and you have, or you have like a joystick. Is this robot is only programmed by showing it what to do?
1: Correct. It's got uh, an interface table. And basically you're taking the robot, and you're moving it all around, whichever direction you want it to do. And you're placing it there, right? And then you go to the, uh, the screen and you say, remember that, that spot, remember that motion, remember that feature that I just showed you how to do. And then you drag and drop. There's motion one, motion two, motion three, and then you hit run and it runs. And it remembers the whole thing that you've just programmed it to do by physically and literally showing the robot how to do it without putting in any program numbers. Now, how much did one cost? About 30, 35,000. That doesn't seem that bad at all. No, not when you get an extra, you know, 10 hours to 12 hours a night of machine time with lights out. Okay, so how much extra productivity has it given you? The two robots that we currently have right now in the shop run those two mills and it has increased the productivity on those two machines anywhere between 30 to 35%. Wow.
0: And these are the the Haas mills, correct? How many hours per week would that be savings? Probably 30 30 to 40 hours a week. Wow. Times 2. Ah, all right. That is pretty significant. You know, one thing I know that you are very cognizant of is time. You only have a four-day work week at the company? Correct. We do.
1: Let me me tell you why. Let me explain all that. Absolutely. Tell me. Yeah. So, about nine, ten years ago, we got together as uh, management and we started brainstorming of, you know, what can we do to give back to the people? The people are the company without the people. I don't have a job. My president doesn't have a job. My senior president doesn't have a job. So what can we do to give them? And one thing I started thinking about, you know, the most precious commodity is time. Absolutely. And the reason is, is because every second that you lose, you can't get back. I can go get another job and replace the money. I can't replace that second that I just lost. So how do we give our employees time with their family? That's when we started thinking automation. So by getting the automation going, it kept us to be able to have four 10 work weeks and give our employees three day weekends every single
0: week with their families. That's pretty awesome. Do many people wanna do overtime or can they work the fifth day of the week? They can, we have a skeleton crew that'll
1: come in on a Friday, but for the most part, After, you know, you've uh, been doing 10 years of four day work weeks, they like their three day weekends.
0: (laughs) I would like a three
1: day weekend. Like the holidays, Memorial Day on a Monday, we have a four day weekend. Fourth of July, if it's on a uh, a Thursday, we have a four or five day weekend. You know, Thanksgiving, we have a four day
0: weekend. But each day is 10 hours. It's a 10 hour day. Correct. It is 10 hours, 5 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. And is that what are the hours you work? 5 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. 3.30 god so you've only been doing that about eight years 10 years about eight to ten years
1: we've been doing the four tens correct before that we were working 12 hours a day five to six days a week wow two shifts so now you only run one shift no we still run two shifts we do run two shifts
0: but everybody works four tens very interesting I mean, when you think about it, this whole five days a week, nine to five, whatever, you know, eight hour day, it's just some arbitrary thing that somebody came up with forever ago. I would agree. Work smarter, not harder.
1: <laughs> you know, everybody says we got to work five tens. We need those machine hours. We don't. If we're more efficient with the time that we actually have, then we're going to actually generate more money. We're going to make a more a higher profit. We've learned that over the years. It's been really good for us. Happier employees; they want to work. They'll work the whole time instead of you know five five tens or five eights. Sometimes on those last days, you know, or the last three or four hours of those days, you're not getting anything out of them. But they know that they get that three day work week every single week by adding that automation. Uh, it's it's been a big change for us. It's been a positive for the employees. Do you think you're going to hire more people in the near
0: future? We were, we're going to, we are expanding a little bit more. But you haven't had to fire anybody during COVID. No,
1: Nope. We've been working uh, from day one. And the reason that is, is because the day that that pandemic broke out and they were saying businesses need to close, people need to stay home. We got emails from four of our top customers claiming that we were an essential business. And the parts that we were making were a direct impact on the COVID testing on a day-to-day basis. Wow. Can I show you something? Absolutely. If you can see this right here, down at the bottom, you see that syringe valve right there? Yeah. We make all the components to that entire syringe except for the glass. Very interesting. There's the parts being used right now in New York City on these machines where they perform 9,000 tests a day for the COVID-19.
0: I think that's really cool that you get to actually see a tangible thing that the part goes into, you know, it's not just part of a thousand part machine. What's, What's the most interesting thing you learned last week?
1: Last week, that the components that we're actually making are saving people's lives. You didn't realize that until last week? No, I did, but it took it to another level when I found out that how many tests that these are performing, 9,000 a day. Wow. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I could say, yeah, I know that all of our parts, you know, help save people's lives. But when I found out and got this information that they're
0: doing 9,000 tests a day, that changed my whole perspective. Wow. That must be awesome to have that purpose in what you do, knowing the tangibility, you know? Yes, I would agree. And, you know, and
1: that's part of the networking. That's part of the personal relationship that I build with our customers when I go out and I network and I, you know, try and drum up more business. I develop that personal relationship because I want to know the function of every part that we make that goes out our doors so that we can turn around and share that information with our uh, our people inside. Because when they know what the function is of the part, they take more pride in it as well. Absolutely. Instead of just spitting out parts, you know? wow, this is going to go to a, a sprinkler system that's being shipped over to Israel. This is going to a syringe component that is being c- tested for uh, during the COVID-19 on these machines, or this clot detector that we're assembling, that we're shipping to Abbott is going to go save somebody's life this next week or in two weeks or whatever. It's, it's pretty remarkable to see the tangible part of it.
0: Right. Well, if you know how you affect somebody with what you do, for me, that's, that's, is important in life, you know, to leave your mark, to do something that you know has affected people. Correct. And if you can have all your employees feel like they're affecting people, that must create such, you know, motivation. Yeah, I would agree. And it does. It's a a driving
1: force for us at our company because it makes our employees want to come to work on a daily basis. Our average retention span for employees Uh, We have some that are 38 years, 32 years, 30 years, and 20, 25, 15. I think the the smallest amount of time that somebody's been at our shop is like seven or eight years. That's the average from seven to eight, all the way up to almost close to 40 years.
0: Wow. And then 30 years, yours truly. Yes, sir. (laughs) Well, Timo, is there anything else that you would like to say to the people of the world um, this is your chance because I, I think uh, we can wrap it up right here. And I really enjoyed uh, learning about your company and learning about you.
1: You know, one of the things that I would like to share is, is uh, manufacturing, manufacturing alone. There's amazing companies in the United States, they do amazing things for people all around the world. And if you get up, on a daily basis and you wake up knowing that you're going in there and you're going to make a difference because of what you do. You play a vital role in every single shop that you're at. I'm speaking to everybody, not just me in general, but I wake up every morning and I go to work. And the reason why I do that is because I know that I can have an effect on one of my employees who my employee then is going to have an effect on the part that they're manufacturing, who that part in return will have an effect on somebody else's life out in the world. That's my driving force me. And if I could share anything, that's what I love to share. Is You know what? Go to work every day with a passion because you have the opportunity to change the world.
0: From today's machining world, this is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on today's Machiningworld.com.